we're in this new series um, uh, called Learning to Love. I'll explain about that, but I also just want to tell you guys thank you for the way in which you invited people uh, to the Christmas Eve service. I mean, we had a phenomenal service. Uh, we had a lot of people that came, and so if you're here with us tonight as a result of that service, we especially want to just tell you welcome. And thank you for making the transition from the event center here to just to, to check us out. And so we, we've been journeying together through the book of Ephesians, and we've been going verse by verse. In fact, is I, I, I was just kind of curious how many weeks we've been in the book of Ephesians. It's been like this is the 28th sermon uh, that I've preached in the book of, the, of Ephesians, and, and we've been walking through it together. And so tonight we come to this, this, this topic of marriage, and we're going to be on this topic for, for at least four weeks, maybe even, uh, maybe even longer. So the series is called Learning to Love. And so if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Um, we're we're going to be in, in uh, verse 18. We're going we're gonna to go back into verse 18, but, but we're also going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, just real quickly. Um, Here's what, the, here's what the scripture says. It says this. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and, and hold fast to his wife, and the two uh, shall become uh, one flesh. And so that's my mistake right there, up there, guys. I gave you the wrong scripture reference. That's my bad, not you guys. So anyway, so just wanted you guys to know that. That's my fault. And so the scripture talks about, uh, about it being one flesh and that you become one flesh. In other words, if you're married, whatever season of marriage that you're in, we're all learning to love. We're all becoming one flesh. There's not one of us in this room that, that has marriage down, right? There's not one of us in this room that are, that are experts in marriage, have got it figured out, or anything like that. And so what Paul is saying, that becoming one flesh, that word becoming is so important, that becoming one flesh is important for us to understand because what Paul is saying is this. Paul is saying it's a process. And Paul also goes on and says that guess what? This issue of marriage, it's, it's a mystery. He not only says it's a mystery, it's like it's a profound mystery. And, and Paul even claims later in scripture says, you know what? I don't even have this stuff figured out. And so, so let, me, let me just tell you this, that, that in all the premarital counseling that I've done, no one sets out to have a bad marriage, right? Nobody sets out and says, you know what? My goal is to have a rotten marriage, to have a difficult marriage, to have a painful marriage. And so when you start looking at this issue, you realize that that's not a goal of anyone. And so you start looking at the dating process and engagement and planning of a wedding. And so much of the time of a couple, so much of the time goes into planning a wedding, the event and the ceremony and the cake and the, the photographer and the DJ and all of that other stuff. And what happens is, as a, as a result, we don't spend a lot of time on learning. And what happens is we set ourselves up for failure. I saw a statistic that says that the average couple spends about 1,000 hours planning a wedding ceremony. Uh, we planned one in October, and I, I, think that's, I think that's unrealistic. I think it's higher than that. Not that I was involved, but I just saw all that went in, into that. And so a lot of times, all of our hours and all of our time is, is spent on the ceremony, and all of a sudden, the ceremony becomes the big event. But God says this. God says the ceremony isn't the big event. I mean, it's going to last a day at most. And so the ceremony is not a big event. The big event, what God would say, the big event is a marriage. And so God has a desire that marriage would be successful. And so many couples in planning a marriage or planning a, a, are, are planning a wedding or planning a wedding, and God is planning a marriage. And so good news to you and I is God wants to see your marriage become a success. And so a lot of times we fail at marriage because we, we don't understand the mystery of marriage. Now, let me just tell you who this series is for. 
uh, really and truly, this series is for everybody. Uh, this, this series is for that couple that is in, in, a, in a season of marriage that uh, is not good. To where they'd say, you know what, we're in that season when our marriage is just, is just not good. Uh, and, and so encouragement to you, uh, we're all learning to love. Those of us uh, that have been married a long time know that we've had good seasons and we've had diff- uh, difficult seasons. We've learned to struggle together. I like the quote of Charles M. Schultz. He says this. He says, sometimes I lie, I lie awake at night and ask, where have I gone wrong? Then a voice says to me, this is going to take more than one night. Uh, you know what? For some of us, depending on your season of marriage, it may take more than one sermon. It may take one, more than one night. It may be a season. You may have a good marriage. You may say, you know what? I have a great marriage. Guess what? We can all improve. We're all learning. We're all learning to love. Now, listen, if, you're, if you've been divorced, I don't want you to feel any guilt. Um, it takes two in a marriage. And so this marriage is even for you. That you may prepare for that day when God allows you to remarry, when God allows you to meet that man or that woman. Uh, This series is also for singles, this series, because marriage affects everybody. And so the Bible has a lot to say about marriage. And Paul says some of the mystery of marriage is this. It's this relationship that is played out in the church where, where, where we're the bride of Christ and he's the groom, but it's also in the home. The world, when we look at this, the world doesn't honor marriage, right? I mean, the, the world no longer honors marriage. The fact is, I, I, I told my, my wife uh, right before I came up here, I said, you know what, i got to quit listening to country and western music before I preach on marriage. <laughs> and that is not, I mean, it, you know, I can't even, you know, it's just, it's just not very positive about marriage, right? Uh, maybe, maybe the world's theology is more like, you know, the theologian Chris Rock's theology, and that is this, do you want to be single and, and, and lonely, or do you want to be married and bored? And really and truly, the, that's the world's view of marriage. That's just the two choices that you have. You can either be single and lonely, or you can be married and bored, but there's no in-between. Interesting survey, statistics that just came out, they, they interviewed a lot of married couples. 62% of married couples would grade their marriage as they're happy. And fact is, those that would say we're learning the mystery of marriage, those that are in a biblical marriage would say we're extremely happy. Now, anyone that tells you that marriage is easy, they're lying. Okay. And Karen and I, we've been married uh, 32 years. And, uh, man, we have made some mistakes. We have struggled together. We have asked for forgiveness countless of times. Uh, We've learned a lot together through this mystery that we call marriage. And, you know, we've learned marriage is hard work. And it takes love, and it takes humor, and it takes respect. And it takes some more humor, and it takes, it takes struggling together. So here's what the Scripture says as he leads into this issue of marriage. And I'm going to give you four things, and then, and then we're going to take communion together as a church family uh, as we dedicate this, this year to the Lord. And so, so here's, what, here, what, here's what Paul writes, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, 18. Again, and so you may think, this is kind of weird. It sounds like he's talking about church. Yeah, because Paul says this, that, that, that your church life should make its way into every other aspect of your life. And so verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but command, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, 
giving thanks always and everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I'm going to give you four principles, four foundations, four pillars of a successful marriage. And the, the first one is this, effective communication. The title of this message is, is when did you say that? When did you say that? I didn't get that. I didn't understand that. Uh, I, I, I don't remember you saying that. And if we're going to have an effective marriage, if we're going to have a good marriage, the first thing is this. You've got to have effective communication. Uh, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. This is what, what Paul is saying, that an indicator of having a spirit-filled life is not doing a bunch of weird stuff, but an indicator of a spirit-filled life, it changes the way that you talk to people. It changes the way it changes your relationships. That's why Galatians said that, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things. And so, so when you have a spirit-filled life, when I have a spirit-filled life, it changes the way, listen, it changes the way you talk to a husband. It changes the way that you talk to a wife, not just in the church, but outside of the church in the home. In other words, you, in other words, you honor them with your words. You don't belittle them. You don't ridicule them. You don't make fun of them. Um, you don't talk down to them. You don't judge them. You don't call them names. You don't use shame and blame. And we're going to understand, we're going to see some things out of Genesis. The, the only marriage that we may would be able to say was perfect before the fall, Adam and Eve, and what was present or what was not present in their relationship before the fall. It's amazing. And so many times, many times couples have trouble in marriage because they, they don't have effective communication. And, and, and really, the, the, the way that dating life is set up is you're always putting, you're putting your best foot forward, right? And sometimes it's not until after marriage that you realize who this person really is and how they really are. Uh, my premarital counseling may be a little bit unorthodox, but, uh, but one of the things I've told couples before is this, is that, is that I think every married couple should get to overhear their partner before they're married, get to overhear their partner talk on the phone to tech support. That's when you're going to find out how they really are, right? That's when you're going to find out if they're spirit-filled or not. I mean, there's something about tech support. I don't get it. Uh, since my, my dad passed away in April, and so I'm, I'm paying the bills for my mom, and, and so her, her car insurance and her house insurance is coming up. And so I called her agent and said, you know what, I talked to someone in the office, that I, I, want to set up, I, I want to set it up so I can pay it online. And my, my mom and dad never did that, so I need to pay it online. So they give me tech support lady, and so she gave me a password account and all that other stuff. I logged on, and so, but you couldn't see, you couldn't see my, my, my mom's insurance. You couldn't pay the bill. So I call back, and I say, and explain the problem to the lady on tech support. And I quote, I'm not exaggerating. And this lady told me, says, oh, says, you know what? My, my fiance, he pays all of our bills online. I don't really know how to do bill pay. I can't help you. I mean, I don't think I asked you, you know, how you paid your bills. And so, I, so I'm telling you about this issue, about being spirit-filled. And so if you're going to have, listen, if you're going to have a biblical marriage, if you're going to have effective communication, then you've got to understand the depths of differences between male and female, husband and wife. I hear this all the time. I mean, I, I hear complaints all the time. Uh, I don't understand him. I don't understand her. I don't get him. I don't get her. Uh, I can't figure him out. I can't figure her out. When we talk, he doesn't make sense. She doesn't make sense. 
I don't know why he acts that way. I don't know why she acts that way. Listen, welcome to the club. I mean, we're all different. That's why 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person who is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the spirit of God. Listen, here's the crazy thing about marriage. Prior to marriage, most couples, all they focus on, all they look at is how alike they are, right? And that's cute. <laughs> Until... It's like 24-7, right? And so most, most couples in the dating life, there's always oh, just so cute. We're so alike. And then they get married. And then all they focus on is how different they are or how not alike they are. Listen, we are different. Male and female are different. And maturity in life is realizing the dif differences. The, the differences doesn't mean you're right or wrong. It just means you're different. And we all, listen, we all communicate differently, right? I mean, like for me, if you're, if you're giving me direction, I would appreciate you not using some words like north, south, east, and west. <laughs> that means nothing to me. That's why, just give me an address. Siri talks my language. Left, right, recalculate. I mean, that's usually what, <laughs> right, that's usually what I get. And so we all, we all communicate different. Listen, this may be the most encouraging point of this message so far. Differences bring balance to marriage. Listen, the greater your differences are right now, the greater potential of growth in your marriage. And I know some of you are going, we've got a lot of growth. And God allows these differences for growth. I mean, I, a lot of times I think it's a part of your, our sanctification is marriage. It's, marriage is where we really learn to forgive. Marriage is really where we learn to not only look on our own interests, but the interests of others. Marriage is that place to where we really learn to be not selfish. I mean, to, to understand marriage and the differences, it, it goes all the way back to Genesis. Genesis 1.27, and Scripture says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So just so we're tracking, both male and female were created in the image of God. God has, I know it's confusing to us, but God has both male and female characteristics. That's why this becoming, becoming one flesh, is the picture of, of, the, of the character of God that you bring the male characteristics of God and the female characteristics of God into a marriage. Marriage is the image of God that is revealed in a relationship. And it's foundational to understand that, that God has wired you differently than he has wired your spouse. And if you're going to be able to communicate at a deep level, you've got to get that. We're, we're all different and we think different. See, men, unfortunately, think women think like them. But you know what? Women, unfortunately, think men think like them. But we, we think differently. And women sometimes get confused and say, well, my husband just doesn't get me like my girlfriends do. You didn't marry your girlfriend. We think different. See, it's not that men are from Mars and women are from Venus. It's that God has created us differently. So many times married couples spend so much time arguing over how to talk and how to communicate, which way's right and what style's right. Man, it's different. And many, many couples live with this unspoken frustration that my spouse cannot communicate with me. Proverbs 24, 3, by wisdom a house, built, a house is built, 
by understanding it is established. In other words, we need to pray for wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding. What, what does our spouse need? How, how, how can we communicate with them? How can we understand them? Because when you are spirit-filled in the home, you communicate and you learn to communicate in a way that they understand. The second pillar of, of marriage, of this foundation, as we start out on this journey together, is effective worship. In other words, in marriage, in a biblical marriage, there's a spiritual, there's a spiritual connection. Ephesians 5.19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. He's talking about a spirit-filled life. He's talking about a spirit-filled life that includes worship. In other words, what he's talking, he's talking about the sacredness of marriage, the picture of marriage, that in, in the marriage relationships that there is, that there, that there, it's sacred and that there is worship and, and to where, to where you, you, you see your marriage as an act of worship. You see your marriage as an act of obedience and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a spiritual element of marriage that sometimes is, is, is just so overlooked. That's why scripture talks about not being unequally yoked, not marrying someone who is not a believer. And so this is just so important for students that, and the students, the scripture would say that you, you do not date or you do not marry someone that is not a believer that you cannot worship with, no matter how hot they are. <laughs> right? It just does. <laughs> I better move. This is when country and western is going to get me in trouble. <laughs> I'm, I'm moving, I'm moving on. <laughs> to where you can attend church together. To where, to where men understand that being a, a spiritual leader is, is worshiping with your family and taking your family to worship. and To where you're able to talk about spiritual things and you're able, you're able to read scripture together. Listen, I'm telling you, Karen and I have had some difficult, especially the first four or five years of marriage, we, we had a diff, difficult season. You, you put two strong-willed people together uh, to, where you're, to where you're struggling through, you know, the scripture that says two will become one and we're fighting over which one will become. <laughs> I think it should be me. She thinks it should be her. And so, and, so, and, and you know what? I was the problem. I'll, I, I just tell you, you know, the best thing that ever happened to me was marrying Karen Jones. Um, uh, I was the problem and I had a lot of hurt and a lot of pain and some things in my life that, that I had to process through and she helped me and and uh, there was a time in our marriage when we, we really could not read scripture together because Karen would tell me open up the word and, and I don't know if you know this but sometimes the most vulnerable thing you can do is open up scripture and say this is what scripture says to me and so she'd say this is what scripture says to me and so I'd start telling her, you know, that, that's not proper biblical hermeneutics. You got a context, culture, Greek, Hebrew, this, the, theology, all this stuff. And so I, it, see, I, for some odd reason, I thought I was the Holy Spirit in her life, not just her husband. Then I learned that job was taken. And a, a danger of husband and wife is to where you believe you're the Holy Spirit in your husband's life. Or your wife's life. I never forget one time that that um, that Karen would talk about. She'd talk about God answering a prayer, and I explained to her why uh, why it why it probably maybe not was such an answer to prayer, but it just kind of worked out that way. And I just kind of explained it away. 
It was hurtful to Karen. And you know what happened? It shut her down to where she no longer would share scripture with me. Never forget the time many years back. We were in Pueblo at the time. And uh, it was when Karen got her first cell phone here in in Pueblo. And um, she was doing dishes. And she had the phone under her her shoulder, ear, doing dishes. The phone phone slips. And so I think it was in the days before you could get insurance. The phone goes all the way down to the the base. And she rattles around and finds it. And I'm not happy. I wasn't spirit-filled that day. And so, (laughs) so I'm not happy. And so I pull the battery off, and, and I mean that the red dot, remember the red dot days? Uh, and so, I mean, that red is just not red. It's like glowing red. And so she said, it's, it's okay. I'll dry it out. It's okay. And I said, it's not okay. It's an electrical device. I mean, it's done. It's toast. It's over. We don't have insurance. You don't know how much it's going to cost and that whole deal. And she said, well, I'm going to a lady's Bible study tonight. I'll just take it with me. We'll pray over it. And so I'm like... And so I'm laughing. I'm saying, that, that's, that's like crazy. It's electronic device. And so she takes it. She takes it to church. Her and Beverly Allen lay hands on it. They pray. They pray over it. She brings it home. And she says, you know what? You're going to be my first phone call in the morning. And so, I'll, yeah, she put it in the oven. You plugged it in. So she plugged it in. I'm sorry, she's helping. <laughs> I hope I get the story right. So, so she plugged it in and said, I'll call you in the morning. So, she, so 7.30 in the morning, I'm at the church office. My cell phone rings and I look and it says, Karen's cell. I'm like, do I answer it? Do I not? Or do, do I just answer and speaking with a broken voice? Hey, uh, what? Ooh, ah, ah. <laughs> I don't know how many phones they healed in that time, but, with, but all of a sudden people started bringing their phones to them. And so, and so you know what? I just celebrated with it. I'm, I'm telling you that, that we need to come to that place in marriage to where we understand, guess what? God didn't call you. God didn't call me to be the Holy Spirit in my wife's life. He didn't call you to be the Holy Spirit in your spouse's life, that we can struggle together. We can journey together on this spiritual life without any condemnation, guilt, or anything like that. Here's the third pillar of marriage is, is effective gratitude. In other words, this issue of grateful, and I'm, I'm just going to tell you, if you do not have joy in your heart, if you do not have joy in your life, you'll never be grateful. You'll never be grateful for what you have now, for what you have today. And so Paul says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm telling you to have a successful, and it's not just marriage, but to have a successful marriage, to have a successful relationships, you have to have this attitude of gratitude. Guess what? Just not in words, but in actions. I mean, do you tell your spouse how much you appreciate them in, in specific, something that's like real? Do, do you show them how much you appreciate them, how much you love them? I mean, right now, are you thankful for your spouse? Are you not thankful for your spouse? When was the last time your spouse heard you say, you know, I just want you to know I'm proud of you? I just, I, I just, I just want you to know what you've gone through, what you've been dealing with. I'm just proud of you. I mean, listen, let me just tell you, let's, let's just be honest. There are some words you and I cannot take back. One of my favorite lines in the movie, Top Gun. One of the exciting points of Top Gun, and all of a sudden the pilot says, too close for missiles, switching to guns. 
The missiles and guns of marriage is blame and shame. Shame and blame are the missiles of marriage. And when I talk to couples and we're starting to flesh this out, and I can see how shame and blame creates these dynamics that are just lethal in the relationship, let me just tell you, shame is real pain. Don't ever let someone tell you shame is not real pain. Shame is real pain. Shame and guilt are different. Shame is I am someone bad. I am a bad person because of what I did. Blame, I mean, our guilt is this, is I'm a good person. I did something bad. There's a difference between shame and blame. Listen, let me just tell you, guilt can be productive. Guilt can be productive that I'm a good person. I made a mistake. I made a bad decision. I made a choice and it can be corrected. But shame is because of the decision you made, because of the action that you did, because of that choice. I just want you to know you're a bad person. Listen, shame is never productive. Guilt can be productive. Shame is never productive. Fact is what psychologists tell us it's destructive and we live in a world and we live in a fallen world and we live in a world that a lot of people still believe that that shame is a great tool for keeping people in line for controlling people and not only is that belief wrong but it's detrimental it's dangerous shame is this you're a bad person because of the decision that you made shame belittles shame makes fun of shame ridicules shame talks down to shame devalues shame calls someone name Shame lets you know that you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not spiritual enough, you're not thin enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not athletic enough, you're not good enough, you're not funny enough. See, shame lets you know you're just not enough. Shame will call you names and say you're stupid, you're an idiot, you're a moron. Shame is real pain. Shame is that intensely pain or that feeling that is experienced, believing that we are flawed and we're unworthy of connection or belonging. The scriptures, the gospel says every one of us is worthy of love, of connection, and belonging. Amen. See, women feel shame when they don't hear, hear they, they don't feel heard or validated. And they will begin responding by pushing or provoking. And men feel shame when they're criticized for being inadequate or... And they'll shut down or they'll be angry. I think it's safe to say all of us at some time have felt shame. I, I still remember that the first time I felt shame was third grade, Miss Carruthers' class. If any of us have been in elementary school, we felt shame, right? Middle school, you cannot get out of middle school without feeling shame. And I still remember we were doing math drills, and I got called up with three other students. She put the questions up just real quickly. I answered the first question wrong. Two kids answered it right. They sat down. Two more came up. Answered it wrong again. Two kids went down. Two kids came up. Uh, kids started snickering and laughing at me. Miss um, uh, Carruthers got angry, pulls out a paddle, puts it on her, on her desk. She looks at me and says, Charlie Jones, you are nothing but the class clown. You don't care. You're, dis you're, you're distracted. And if you don't get this one right, I'm giving you three licks in front of everybody. I got it wrong. And I got three licks. My buddies were, see, shame humiliates someone publicly.
I had three licks. And I wasn't going to let her see me cry. When I got in the car with my mom, man, I lost it. Shame. It's a tied to addictions, violence, aggression, depression, eating disorders, and bullying. There's not one study out that says there's anything productive that comes out of shame. Even if we apologize and we've done seri serious damage because we've displayed a willingness to use information to hurt. See, gratitude is the antidote for shame. Gratitude says you are enough. Gratitude says I am grateful. Gratitude says you are enough and I love you just the way you are. See, joy is tied to gratitude, and if you don't have joy, you'll never have gratitude. Most marriages are in trouble when they no longer have gratitude, when they're just no longer thankful. And you may say, well, wait, 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 I'm in that, I'm in that season of marriage. I, I, I don't know if I can be thankful for anything. Well, how about this? A house is built with wisdom and understanding. How about ask God? God, what should I be grateful for? What should I be? thankful for. See, at the end of Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve are in the garden, and their marriage at that point was perfect. It was free of shame and blame. And, and Genesis chapter 3, the, the fall, and they sinned, and they felt shame, and they blamed one another. See, see the danger of shame, just real quickly, and we're, we're going to flesh this out later but in the series, but the danger of shame, it will cause you to not only hide from a spouse, it will cause you to hide from God because you feel unworthy. You feel like you're unworthy to connect and to belong. And the damage that shame and blame did in Adam and Eve's life affected their kids, affected their family, affected them forever. The last thing is this, is just effective leadership. Scripture says submitting to one another out of the reverence of Christ and submit is an old military term that means to fall in line with and someone in the home has to be willing to stand up and say enough is enough. Someone in the home has to be the one to say no shame, no blame. We're going to have effective communication. We're, we're, we're going to be grateful for each other. We're going to understand that we're becoming. See, the danger is if you look at the state of your marriage right now, it may discourage you. But if you'll look at what you're becoming, it will encourage you. And someone needs to be willing just to stand up in a home and say no shame, no blame. See, shame causes you to attack the person and not the problem. And someone just needs to be willing to stand up in a home and say, I'm ready to sit next to you instead of across from you. I'm willing to put the problem in front of us rather than between us or sliding it towards you. I'm ready to listen and to ask questions and to accept that I may not fully understand all the issues. I'm ready. I'm willing to acknowledge what you do well instead of picking apart your mistakes. I mean, I, 
I'm ready, and I'll, I'll model honesty, vulnerability, and openness that I expect from you. And I will not belittle you, judge you, call you names. You're a person worthy of love and worthy of connection. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Our servers are are going to make their way to the back as we get ready to take the offering together as a church family. But with your heads bowed and eyes closed, the, the scripture just says this, says before we, before we take of the, the juice and before we take of the bread, that we should examine, we should examine our lives. So let me ask you, are you living a spirit-filled life? You live in a spirit-filled life in the relationships around you, whether it's marriage or it's relationships. And in just a few minutes, as we take of the bread and we take of the juice, we'll take together as a church family. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you for the power of your name and for the power of your word. And we ask that we take of the bread and we take of the juice that you speak to us in a real way, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The servers are going to begin passing out the bread and the juice, and as they do, there's, there's two cups, one on top of the other. You'll take both cups out, and you'll hold them there in place. And then you'll pass the plate to the person next to you. And then you'll hold the bread, and you'll hold the juice in place. And then just in a few minutes, we'll take of the bread, and we'll take of the juice together as a church family.
before we take of the bread. Here's what the scripture says. For I passed on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Before we take of the bread, the scripture teaches us it was because of his sacrifice. That he went to the cross. No one took his life from him. He laid it down on his own accord. And it says in the same way that we should live out a sacrificial life in the relationships that we find ourselves. Father, we thank you for the bread. We thank you that it's a symbol of your body broken for us. And so, Father, we thank you for your sacrifice. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you take with me, please? Scripture also says this cup is a new covenant. And in the same, and in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, that this is my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Every one of us. This is the picture a worthy of love, connection, and belonging. This is the picture of we belong to the family of God. We belong to Him. And because of that, we have the righteousness of Christ. We are totally and completely forgiven. We are deeply loved. None of us in this room are perfect. All of us need grace. All of us need forgiveness. And yet, we have a relationship with Him because He desires to have that relationship with us. Father, we thank You for the shedding of Your blood, for without it there'd be no forgiveness of sin. And we tell You, thank You that you're willing to take our sin to the cross for our forgiveness. And may we forgive others just as you have forgiven us. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take with me, please? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes one more time? Let me just ask you, what is God saying to you? What is God saying to you, maybe as a result of this message, maybe as a result of his word? More importantly, what is your next step? What is, what is the next step? Every one of us has a next step. We're all becoming. We're all learning how to love. We're all working through things of our past and our life. What is your next step? Maybe, maybe tonight you're here and say, you know what, I... I'm just carrying a burden. I, I just want someone to pray for me. Well, we want to pray for you. We really do. That if you're carrying a burden, if you have a prayer request, if you have a need, if you're trying to discern a decision, whatever it is, we want to pray for you. So in just a few minutes after I pray, we're going to stand. And when we stand, if you need prayer in any area of your life, whether it's a financial issue, whether it's a relational issue, whether it's an issue in marriage, 
whether you're trying to discern out the future, whether you, whatever it is, if you're carrying a burden, we want to lift that burden. So after I pray, we're going to stand. And when we stand, if you need prayer in any area, we're just going to invite you just as you stand, just to step out, begin making your way down to the front. We'll guide you from there. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. Father, we ask by the power of your name that you would draw us very closely to you and that we would respond to you and that burdens would be lifted and prayers would be answered. We thank you for the stories and the miracles that you have done in this room when people just simply humbled themselves and prayed. We look forward to see what you're going to do tonight for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.